if you're here in the room right now, which we are, you are sitting in the middle of a miracle. Whether or not you've been around Riverside for very long, either today is your first ever stepping foot here, or you've been here for decades, the story of God's faithfulness to this church is extraordinary, including his provision of this building. The journey started out with buying one house, number 21, then number 23, joining those together and then building this hall on the back. At every stage of that journey, as some of you know all too well, there was a miracle or many miracles. A dramatic intervention by God through his people to provide for the ongoing work of his church. Both people within Riverside and people outside Riverside too. And Lois talks in her book, Sunshine and Shadows, amazing story of God's faithfulness through the years in her life, including in Riverside. There's this beautiful quote, which you've got on the screen, of a moment where a particular moment of God's provision through his people was clear. I love this. We danced round the room with joy at God's provision and timing. How grateful we were again for God's provision through other people. Today, as we continue our series called Open Handed, we're going to think then about what that generosity that we've been exploring over these last few weeks looks like in practice. Practically speaking, what does it mean for you and me? And there's one thing that underpins it all, which we've just heard, and it's this. Today, friends, you can be someone's miracle. In the same way, there are countless miracles in the life of Riverside, and I know in the lives of individuals here. Today, you can be someone's miracle. There may be people praying for something that you do not know, that you can be the answer to that prayer in miraculous ways. We could spend days telling stories of God's miraculous provision. Never underestimate the power and potential of your generosity, whatever that looks like. But what does that therefore look like in practice? That's what we're thinking of today. And the Bible passage that Manjinda read is one of a number of passages in the Bible that reference about giving and what therefore our response could look like. There's no one bit of the Bible that, you know, point one, do this, point two, do this. But there are various different things that we'll pick up because society was very different then than it is now. The church was very different then than it is now. But there are some principles. And underpinning those are two key principles before we get into some practicalities with my friend here, which I'm sure you're eager to see what my friend is. First principle, number one, worth bearing in mind as we go through these practicalities. The heart is as important as the numbers. As we think about giving and generosity... Your heart towards it is as important as the detail. Jesus, in the passage that was just read to us, was being criticized for not ceremonially washing before a meal. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, had seen what he had or had not done and were criticizing him. And Jesus' response to them, the religious leaders, was fascinating. Here it is. The Lord said to him, uh, then the Lord said to them, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. What Jesus is saying is clear. You can do all the right things, 
and your heart be very, very wrong. So it's not about the external detail. The heart is as important as the numbers. It can be possible to do the right thing in the wrong way for the wrong motivations. So you can give, for example, to be seen by others. You can give so that everyone will think how generous you are. You can even give because a pastor stands up in front of church, does a sermon that you feel I ought to be a good Christian and therefore I have to do what the pastor says. Little note, by the way, we as pastors don't know who gives what in the life of Riverside, so we would never know that anyway. But you get the gist. You can do the right thing for the wrong heart. The heart is as important as how much. The second principle underpinning the practicalities is this. Generosity is never a burden. Giving is freeing, not a burden. If after this morning, you feel pressurized, criticized, condemned, burdened in a way that you didn't feel about this subject before you came in, I have failed dramatically. I'm sorry if that is the case. God only ever asks us to do something that is for our good and for the good of other people. And I'm aware there is a certain power and influence that comes with standing on a stage with a microphone, with people listening, that history is littered, particularly on this subject of money, where things have been said that has caused a reaction in the wrong way. Jesus has very strong words for religious leaders who place burdens on people. Listen to what he says just after the passage that Manjinda read. This is Jesus talking to the religious leaders of his day. Woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Friends, my hope this morning as we race through some practicalities is that there'll be a radical freedom, a radical excitement and adventure around generosity and giving and about what that could look like. And if there's any burden, I'm sorry. That's from me, not from God. And I forgive me. But with that, I want to introduce you to a very practical illustration. Here it is. Here's my friend. This is the generosity ladder. I hear a woo. There you go. Thank you. It's clearly unprovoked. Um, Now, hopefully this is practically helpful. You might disagree with my words, or what the outworking of this. But in my experience, and our experience as leaders, sometimes on this whole subject of giving, the subject can be so big that it's almost too big to know what to do with it. And so this is a simple, hopefully helpful way of step-by-step thinking about some steps in our own personal giving and generosity. Uh, The old adage is true, apparently, that you're more likely to get divorced than change your bank account. So money is complex in handling it. And so therefore, when it comes to giving, this is just a simple way of some little steps that hopefully will be helpful. And I realize that at the moment, there are many of us that in this current climate have zero margin or feel we have zero margin. Hopefully, these five steps are helpful. Because we're going to be exploring what we might give to and how we might give as well. Uh, uh, And you'll see on your seats, Judy's already mentioned it, a few cards, giving cards. You'll see around the place, scattered around. Uh, 
If out of this morning or next week, as we have our Giving Sunday, you want to change how, what you give, what that looks like, start in some way. Simply there's details there. You can fill out the details. One of our team will get in touch with you to then put that into practice. So take one of those cards. There's a giving station on your way out, whatever that looks like. I hear stories, we hear stories all across Riverside of huge generosity amongst you all being miracles down through history. And so we look forward to what God will continue to do through his people. So with that, some steps, practical steps. Here they are. The first step that some of us can take is this. Start. Start. Many of us have thought about giving, want to be generous, but sometimes the follow through is the bit that doesn't quite, you know, life caves in, we have an idea, we want to do it, but then it never actually materializes. And it may be that for some of us here today, the very first step is to simply give something, anything, as an act of starting on the generosity ladder. There's loads of things in my life that I want to do one way. There's a fence panel I need to fix. There's all sorts of things that I need to do in hanging up hooks. They're the sort of things that you can never quite get round to. I'm sure I'm not alone. There's some nudges I see around the room. Giving can be one of those things that we want to. We know we want to, but actually starting sometimes can be tricky. Maybe for some today, that is the decision to simply start giving in any way. Start your journey up the generosity ladder. The second step up the ladder is this, to move from just kind of a one-off or starting doing something to being more planned in your giving. Not just reacting to a specific need that you hear or a particular ask or request for support, but taking steps to be planned in it in your life, whatever that looks like. Many people in the life of Riverside find the most helpful way is simply setting a standing order from your bank account on a monthly or whatever it looks like basis. So that it kind of is planned, it works its way out, therefore you don't have to all the time be thinking every month or every week, whatever that looks like. And for people who are working, many people coincide this with when they get their salary in or whatever that means for you. So that the moment it comes in, there's that act right at the beginning of the month, as it were, to then give out of it. And this comes from various different bits in the Bible. There's this verse in Proverbs 3 on the screen. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. There's a sense of if we wait until we work out what's left, it gets tricky. And it's the sort of afterthought rather than saying, the moment I can, I'm going to give. And that's what many people do. Finding it a helpful way, a planned way right at the Whenever it is, it comes into your bank account. And for me personally, starting this as young as you can is a really, really helpful discipline to get into. I'd encourage you actually to think about it the very first time. If you get any sort of job, the very first time you get any sort of paycheck and you realize once and for all how much the government really takes and all those sorts of things, to try then to think, okay, Hmm, what might my response look to that? It's way easier when you're young with less responsibilities than to adapt when you're a bit older. So maybe that's for some, to be a bit more planned. The next step, though, moving on from this, is the third one, a slightly longer word. Hopefully you can read it at the back. Proportional, to be proportional 
in your giving. Not just a regular amount, but to, as it were, make a decision about your own life, about a proportion that maybe you don't want to go beyond or you want to aim for, regardless of your circumstances at any moment. And again, I think this is quite helpful to discipline to start when you're younger. I remember for me, making this decision when I was longer, that I was going to aim to always give 5% or more. That was my personal decision. And therefore, naming a proportion when you're able to do that, it means as you go through life, depending on circumstances, you can always say, that's a decision I've made to try and aim for. It's a practical thing between you and you and God. Now, the Bible has some suggestions about how much, which we'll get to in a moment. But for some, maybe that's the decision you need to make. The next step is to be proportional for you in your world, what that looks like. But it's important to remember why, in what the context you do this. There's a verse that Nate referenced last week in 2 Corinthians, which is so important. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All of us are different. And it can be so easy even now to be hearing this and think, oh boy, Tim's told me I've got to do this. Rather than actually thinking, no, there's no compulsion here. It's between you and God. And therefore to make a decision for you and your world, what could this look like? There's freedom here. Decide what that will look like. So that's the first, third stage. Start, plan it, be a bit more proportional. The fourth stage then is this, up the ladder. I was, by the way, going to try climbing up the ladder, but I thought it was a bit risky at this stage. Um, The fourth thing is this, being faithful in our giving. And I realise even that word raises a question, okay, but what does that mean? What does it look like? And there's two important questions here. How much does the Bible talk about we might give? And what should we give to? Two key questions that we're going to explore. The first then, how much does the Bible talk about our generosity? What should, does that look like? There's loads been written about this. But what's interesting is this. If the question behind how much is really how much do I have to give, might I suggest That's giving in a begrudging way. Rather, the question is not how much do I have to give, tick box, but actually how much is good to give? Because did you notice something that Jesus said in the passage that Manjinder read? Remember, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day are criticizing him. And he says this about those religious leaders. Woe to you, Pharisees. That's pretty strong. Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now here, Jesus is referencing something that was a Jewish tradition. All through the Old Testament, they practiced something called the tithe. That simply means tenth. That's where the word comes from. And the Pharisees practiced this. Jesus says they were giving a tenth of their mint and rue and so on. But alongside that, 
they were quite pleased with, I've done that, tick. But alongside that, there was a whole world of things that their heart was not right. They were ignoring the poor. They were ignoring God. They were thinking, I've done this, yay me. Whereas actually Jesus said something way deeper in their hearts. But you might say, well, that's all very well and good. But Jesus only references herbs. I'm very happy to give you 10% of my herbs. Here, have some mint. (laughs) We'd all be happy with that, wouldn't we? But it seems clear that actually God is referencing, uh, Jesus is referencing something that is all over the Old Testament. Here's a few verses about giving a tenth, not just of your herbs, but of everything. Here it is. Then Abraham, Genesis, gave him a tenth of everything. Leviticus, a tithe of everything, a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It's holy to him. There's some people therefore say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. New Testament, it doesn't apply anymore. And I have real sympathy with that. I don't think laws apply in the same way. But remember what Jesus said? You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus actually criticizes them for only tithing. And so whilst I do think we aren't bound by the 10% thing, I think if the heart behind the question is really, I don't want to give away that much, that says something that would be very, very alien to first century Christians. I think the Bible does point to being 10% as the normal baseline for what it means to be faithful in our giving. Why? But in light of all that Jesus has done, it changes how we see it. Not how much do I have to give, but what's good. Because do you remember? What did Jesus do for us? I love this quote from Tim Keller. The gospel gets you beyond tithing. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. Here, have 10%. He gave his whole life. Don't sit down with a calculator to give your money away. Sit down with a cross. What he's simply saying is, if we're there thinking, oh, if I can get away with that, that's the wrong mindset. More, it's in light of all that Jesus has given to me, everything, including himself. Wow, I'm all in. Isn't it good that Jesus didn't give just 10%? But what about, it might be the one or two of us there saying, but Tim, I genuinely can't at the moment. And if you're here, you're hearing this already as a burden. You're feeling broken by this at the moment. Please know the freedom. Jesus gave his all for you, full stop, regardless of our response. Hallelujah. I think there is freedom. So if you're asking, Tim, do I have to give 10%? I think the answer is no. There is no compulsion here. There are seasons of life with specific responsibilities and specific circumstances when our giving may need to change. But I think if we really grasp how much Jesus has done for us, we should want to give as much as we can because of all that we have been given. But if I take a step forwards for a moment, honestly, I think many of us, if we are honest, can aim for 10%. 
I remember Andy Mackey saying brilliantly, 10% seems a lot until you go shopping in the sales, and 10% doesn't seem very much then, does it? If we can't at the moment, it's worthwhile seeing if some of our priorities in life, our spending priorities, can change so that we can. And if I can take another step forward for a moment, for some of us, we know that 10% is nowhere near all. That it's actually very low for us. We can be way more than that 10%. I heard a statistic, a shocking one really. If Western evangelical Christians gave 10%, that would increase the amount given to world mission by 100 billion pounds per year. Wow. So it seems that in the light of Jesus' generosity, our natural response is to want to give all, but therefore 10% is a good working aim to kind of aim at. So that's the first bit of how much. But there's a second question, isn't there? What to? Where should we direct that giving? Now, there's loads of choices in our world, isn't there? And it's difficult, again, because the world is different to the world of the Bible and the church is different to the world, the church in the Bible. The Old Testament principle of giving the tenth, the tithe, was for the community of faith that they were a part of, to provide for the people in that community and the ministry within that community, including those who served that community. And therefore, if you look at the New Testament, building on that, it was very clearly about giving to the needy in that community, the church, and supporting the workers of the church so that all of the ministries of the people of God continue to bless the world. And so some principles, I think, seem quite clear that in terms of our giving, it is right and important to support the Christian community, the church, that you are part of. So where you grow. And that includes accessing the youth or children's stuff, wherever it is that you get fed spiritually, wherever it is you go for the support, the care, the prayer, wherever it is the people that you invest in, you do life with, wherever it is the people that will hold you up, wherever it is you gather together on a Sunday, where your church is, that Christian community, I think, is where the focus of our giving should start. It seems to me that many people within Riverside, I think, but certainly across the world, effectively therefore give 10% to their local church. And then in addition to that, as other offerings that are wider than that, give to other ministries either within that church or beyond it. And I want to say thank you to all in this room who give so faithfully, so sacrificially. You are miraculous. So that's what I think it could look like. But there's a final thing as we come to a close. There's a final step. And this step, you know what it's like when you're at this ladder. You shouldn't really be up there, but you want to be up there. And when you're up there, it feels a little bit edgy, but boy, it's fun. And it's this. Radical generosity. This is where it's not driven by fear. It's a fluff attached to it. Not driven by fear. This is where the question is not how much should I give, but how much can I give? What do I really need to live on so that then I can be radical in my generosity?
There are certain seasons in life, certain moments, or for some, all of our lives, where making a decision to work out what I can live on and then stick to that and then being radically generous with the rest is the God calling that God has on our lives. I wonder if you know the name of John Lang. John Lang, in the late 1800s, him and his family business became one of the largest construction firms in the world. Lang Constructions merged latterly with Lang O'Rourke. They were involved, they built the M1, they built the Severn Bridge, they built the Millennium Stadium, they built Coventry Cathedral, major global players in the world construction industry. So John Lang in the late 1800s, early 1900s, made a vow before him and God that he would work out how much he needed to live on and then regardless of how the business grew, regardless of how his circumstances grew, he would then give the rest away. When he died, the trust fund that he established had given away hundreds of millions of pounds. There was 371 pounds in his bank account. My father has visited, visited him in his home in London, and it was a really modest, normal-looking house in a normal-looking street in London. One of the global giants in the construction industry, firm worth billions, because he had chosen radical generosity. And because of him, people all across the world have met Jesus because of a very simple act of radical generosity. But it isn't just the successful businessman who can do that. Whoever we are, whatever our circumstances, think of the widow who simply gave those two coins and Jesus says she has modelled brilliantly. So as we come to a close, friends, Jesus gave everything for us. What step then might be the step for us right now? Friends, there's freedom here. May you experience the grace of Jesus. And maybe then with open hands say, Lord, what is it you're calling me to do?